0: We're going to uh, turn in our Bibles to Jonah. Jonah is one of those small books uh, at the end of the Old Testament. But there's a very weighty message in this small book. So I find it by going to Matthew and then rewinding a few pages. And you'll soon find this little short book of Jonah. It's on page 929 if you're using one of the church Bibles. 929. And this morning, Dan is going to be speaking to us from the passage. Yes, the very same Dan who featured in the movie we saw earlier on. So page 929, Jonah chapter 4. We're going to read the last verse of chapter 3, just in case you weren't here um, last week, so you can catch the context. So Jonah chapter 4 is where we're heading, but we're starting in 3 verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "'Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home?' That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And so many animals?
1: Brilliant. If you have that open in front of you as we go through it together, that would be fantastic. Well, if Jonah was a film, I think it would have everything you would want. It has surprise, it has adventures, it has action. It has a mad chase across the sea, it has near-death experiences, it has plot twists, and not to mention a huge man swallowing fish. I mean, it'd be a pretty cool film, right, to watch. And yet, it's also unlike most films, in that the main character, apart from Cod, the main character, Jonah, isn't the hero that you would be rooting for. You see, we see instead of wanting to save the day like a hero in the film, Jonah wants to ruin the day. And most of all, Jonah ends up not being the hero that does the rescuing, but he ends up needing a rescue more than anybody in the story. If you haven't been with us over for the last couple of weeks, the story we've seen so far in Jonah begins with God commanding Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, a city that was in enemy territory. And Jonah, instead of going to the place where God wanted him to go, he decides to run away. And he gets on a boat and he heads to a place called Tarshish, a place in the complete opposite direction from where Nineveh was. And as Jonah's trying to run away and he's on this boat going to Tarshish, well, God sends a storm so big that Jonah realizes what he's done. He realizes that he can't escape. As the storm is going and all these sailors who are on this boat with him start crying out, they are terrified. Well, Jonah realizes that God has sent this storm. And so he tells the sailors, well, pick me up and throw me over the side. And so that's what they do. They pick up Jonah, they chuck him over the side and he goes into the sea. And do you know, that should really be the end of the story, shouldn't it? Jonah's been commanded to go somewhere, he's gone somewhere else, and now he's paid the consequence. He's ended up in the sea. But you know, it's not the end of the story. Because what does God do? He provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And as Jonah is in this fish for for three days, he cries out to the Lord. And he cries out, and well, after three days, he's vomited uh, back out onto dry land. And when that happens, God commands him again. He says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the message I give to you. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, He goes to this city that he doesn't want to go to, and he starts preaching. And he says, he says this message of in 40 days, Nineveh will face the judgment of God. That's his message that he goes around proclaiming. And what we see as a result of him saying is that everyone... Everyone in this city, from the king to, to the least, they all cry out to God for mercy. They turn their lives around. They turn from their violence. They turn from their evil, and they cry out to God for mercy. And that last verse that was read out just before that we got to, chapter 3, verse 10, which says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways... He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And you know, you read a verse like that again, and, and it should again be the end of the story. That's, that's a verse you end a story with, right? It all works out in the end. Jonah finally gets to Nineveh, Nineveh gets saved, God gets to show his compassion, the end. But, you know, I was struck by something that, that Phil said last week when he was bringing to us the, the last chapter. He said, it's not our action, actions that God wants to change. It's our heart. And, you know, that's proven by chapter 4. That is proven by this chapter because, you see, if it was just the people of Nineveh that needed God's grace, and by God's grace I mean God's undeserved loving kindness. If it was just the people of Nineveh that needed God's grace, well then, well there would not be no need for chapter four. The story should have ended already. But actually, Jonah needs to see it. And he needs to receive it himself. And you know, as we go through this passage together, I've got three points that hopefully help us. And the first one is, Jonah expects grace to be shown to the right people. Jonah expects grace to be shown to the right people. You see, the most amazing thing has just happened, right? A whole city, 120,000 people, have just turned their lives around to follow and worship God. But look at how Jonah reacts. I mean, verse 1, look with me. It says, but to Jonah, this seems very wrong. In fact, it seemed evil, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. See, Jonah doesn't see this as an amazing event to praise God for, but rather something to be incredibly angry at God for. And in one sort of sudden rush of rage, Jonah just lets it fly in this prayer to God. He finally admits that this was the reason that he was trying to run away. This was the very thing he was trying to prevent because Jonah goes verse 2, I just knew I just knew you were gracious. I just knew you were compassionate. I knew you were abounding in love, a God who relents from sending to calamity. I just knew you were going to be gracious to them, God. I knew you were going to forgive them. That's everything I didn't want you to do because you see, in Jonah's eyes, these Ninevites are the worst possible people you could imagine. They were Assyrians, meaning that they were Israel's biggest enemies. And you know, they were famed in the ancient world for being the most violent, the most gruesome, the most merciless empires to have ever existed. And Jonah has just witnessed those people, those undeserving, unworthy enemies of God. Receive not God's anger, but God's grace. You see, what Jonah has figured out is that God's grace, his, his love, his compassion, his mercy, it's not given out by merit. It's not given out to those who supposedly deserve everything that God gives. In fact, what Jonah sees is that God shows compassion because that is who he is. That is right at the heart of his identity, a God gracious, a God compassionate, a God slow to anger and abounding in love, and there is nothing you can do to merit it. Jonah expects God's grace to be given to the right people, people like him, people not like the Ninevites. But you see, again, the irony in this story I's that Jonah is just as undeserving of God's love and compassion as these Ninevites. You know you might have heard of a story that, that Jesus told the parable of the two sons, And the story goes where this father, he has two sons, and the younger son, comes up to his father and he asks for his share of the inheritance right now before his father has passed away. And the father agrees to this. He gives him, the younger son, the share of his inheritance. And the younger son takes it, and he goes as far away from his father as he possibly could. He goes to a distant country, and he spends all of his inheritance on all the things that he just wanted to do. But soon enough for this younger son, as he's away with his father's inheritance, he runs out of money. He runs out of the funds that the father gave him. And we see in the story that Jesus tells, this younger son, he ends up working in a field with pigs. And it says in that parable that he longed to just eat what the pigs were eating. He quite literally reached the pig trough. And it's at that moment that the younger son, well, he realizes, he says, Well, I'm going to go back to my father. I'll go back to him and I'll I'll plead and I'll beg for me to become one of his servants that he had. He had loads of servants and they had food, they had water, they had shelter. And so the younger son goes back. And as he's going back, he's expecting to receive the father's wrath and his anger for the way that he's treated them. But do you know in the story, what's amazing about it? The younger son's going back and before he gets home, the father is there watching and waiting for his son. And before the son even gets home, the father runs out to him as he sees him coming home. He runs out to him, he throws his arms around him, gives him a ring, gives him a robe and he orders that a feast is thrown for his son that is returned to him. Jesus tells that parable again to show how gracious, how compassionate and abounding in love God is towards undeserving people that turn to him. But you know, in the parable, you'll know that the story doesn't end with just the younger son. But the attention then turns to the older son. And the older son becomes furious with his father for the way that he's treated his younger brother. And the older son storms out of the party that's being thrown. And the father goes to him and the older brother slams his father. And he says, why haven't I received any of this when I've obeyed you perfectly? That's his heart. That's his attitude. And that's where the parable ends. And, you know, I share that parable because isn't Jonah just like the older brother? He doesn't like that he can't earn God's love. He doesn't like that those who don't deserve God's grace end up receiving it. And yet, just like the older brother in the parable that Jesus tells, Jonah is just as undeserving as the younger brother of the Father's grace. Do you know, this is a truth about God that flies in the face of religion, doesn't it? Because religion says, if I do this, and if I am like this, then God has to love me. God has to forgive me. God has to give me eternal life. Because I expect God to show his love to the right people. But that's not how God does things. And so if I'm here and I'm I'm relying on my church attendance, if I'm relying on my church service even, the things that I do here, if I'm relying on my upbringing in a Christian home, relying on me thinking I'm a good person, and that's going to make me all right with God, well, I need to know that it doesn't. Jonah was like that. He was so self-righteous, and yet he's so far from God. God. Do you know, Romans 3, verse 10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one that can claim to be worthy or deserving of God's amazing grace and love. Not the Ninevites, not Jonah, not us here this morning. And yet, what does this book of Jonah show us? God is gracious, God is compassionate, He is slow to anger, abounding in love a God who relents in sending calamity. He does not treat us as we deserve. Not to those who believe that they deserve it on merit, but to those like the Ninevites who recognize just how undeserving they are. Our second point is Jonah expects God to bless the right people. You see, after Jonah, he pours out his opinions to God, having seen what God has done in showing compassion to the people of Nineveh. Well, Jonah decides to go out of the city, you know, take a breather for a minute. And it says that he waited to see what would happen for the city. You know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? He's still like crossing his fingers, hoping that something's going to happen. You know, hoping that God's going to flatten his enemies. But he's sitting there and he's sitting looking over the city of Nineveh When God grows this plant over him to provide some shade for Jonah's head, it says, verse 6, to ease his discomfort. It's quite the striking picture, isn't it, when you think about it. There's Jonah, still furious with God for who he is and for what he's just done, And there he is, still hoping that there are going to be these fireworks from heaven that are going to come down and land on the people of Nineveh. And what does God do? He eases his discomfort by providing a plant. I mean, isn't that everything that Jonah doesn't deserve? And yet that is exactly what God is trying to show. Even when Jonah is so far from God. God is showing that he is so gracious. And yet, God also wants to teach Jonah and show him what's, what's so wrong about his heart. It's again like that quote, God doesn't want to change our actions, but rather our heart. And I guess then our actions do change. But then God removes this plant through this worm and then he provides this scorching east wind, if you see in verse eight. And you'll never guess what. But surprise, surprise, Jonah says, verse 8, it would be better for me to die than to live. Oh, great. Yet another thing that Jonah has to be furious with God. And yet it shows something quite extraordinary about Jonah's heart, doesn't it? You see, Jonah loves life and is very content and satisfied when God does what Jonah wants he's very happy when God does the things that help him. But the minute that God doesn't meet his needs, the minute that God doesn't meet his desires, well, Jonah starts the same process of resenting God. You know, it's like your classic two-year-old meltdown that you see in the supermarkets. You know, I worked in a supermarket, and they would always happen on the sweet and chocolate aisle. You know, you would see parents walk in with their children, and, and they would be so well behaved when they start walking. You know, if you're parents, you probably know more than me, but you sort of see them walking through, and the parents, they, they, they would, children would be well behaved, you know, because they know that the sweet aisle is coming, their opportunity is coming. So they bear with the vegetable aisle, they bear with the boring yogurt aisle and cheese aisle because they know that the sweets and chocolate aisle is coming, and that is their moment. And so I'll be good, so that I'll get the sweets and chocolates. And then when it gets to that last aisle, and they see their opportunity, they've been good the whole way around, they take off their favorite sweets, they're about to bring it up to the trolley, and the parent goes, oh no, go go and put that back on the shelf, we're not getting that today. And then it just kicks off. I mean, screaming, tears, I mean, the whole thing. Why? Because what we, don't, what we want hasn't happened. It's right at the core of our hearts, isn't it? And as you read through Jonah, it feels like a two-year-old meltdown in a supermarket because he hasn't got his way. He has an attitude where God exists in Jonah's universe and not Jonah in God's. And you know, as the reader, you've got to kind of laugh at the way that Jonah's behaving. You kind of laugh, don't you? You go, is this guy serious? But do you know, as I've been reading this all week, and I've been looking at this passage in Jonah, do you know what hit me? I'm just like Jonah. He's just more honest about it. You know, there are times where things don't go according to my plan, and I can get easily frustrated with God. Why are you doing this, God? Why am I going there and not here? Why have you said no to this opportunity and yes to that one? Because God, I've actually got, I think, a better way of doing things. And you know, it showed me that tendency like Jonah to not let God be God, but rather that tendency for God to just be a genie in a lamp that's there for me in my world. And you know, all the way through Jonah, all the way through the book, God has shown him, shown us, the reader, that even when Jonah thinks he's in control, well, God's in control. We see it all the way through, even just this small section. God's the one who provides the plant. God's the one who provides the worm. God's the one who provides the scorching east wind. And you know, when we think of the story so far in Jonah, God is the one who provided the storm that stopped him from wanting. God is the one that provided the fish that would swallow Jonah. God is the one that provided the fish to know the right place to spit Jonah out so that he's in the right place to go and preach to Nineveh. God's in control of it all. And the subtle message throughout this book to Jonah is God saying, you are in my universe, not me in yours. And yet God graciously teaches Jonah this lesson. He so lovingly teaches this lesson. And I've been so challenged because, do you know, it means that when God's plan isn't my plan, that's okay. And God's plan isn't always going to be my plan. And what I want isn't always what God wants. But, you know, that's good. Because that means that God is God and not my personal genie. And God is the one that rules sovereignly over everything in this world. And to trust him surely makes the most logical sense. Jonah expects God to bless the right people, meaning he expects God to bless him because he has a wrong understanding of who God is and of who he is in comparison. And finally this morning, God expects Jonah to share the same compassion. Verse 10. You see, in this last part of our passage, in fact, in the last part of the book of Jonah, God gets the last word. And he explains to Jonah, using the plant, of a picture of why he should have had compassion on the people of Nineveh. Look with me at verse 10. But the Lord said... You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, the irony is, you've shown more care and compassion for a plant that was around just for a few hours, then you have shown care and compassion for 120,000 people. The math just doesn't add up. If you've cared about this plant, shouldn't I, God says, shouldn't I have concern, compassion for the city of Nineveh, people that I've made? Do you know Jonah was God's representative to the city of Nineveh? And yet God's prophet doesn't share God's heart. Those Ninevites would have been completely wiped out. God says, shouldn't I have compassion on them? Shouldn't you, Jonah? You know, Tim Keller, in his book, oh, there we go, helpful. In his book, The Prodigal God, prophet, there we go, prodigal prophet, that's a different one. I'd highly recommend reading this, it's awesome. It's been amazing to read it going through Jonah if you want to keep on reading Jonah, do, do take it. But in Tim Keller, in this book, he says, God rebukes Jonah for preaching to the city without loving the city. God rebukes Jonah for preaching to the city without loving the city. You know, there's a story, I can't remember where, of, of this famous musician who was an ardent atheist, And after one of his concerts, uh, he goes backstage and this man comes running up to him with tears uh, falling down his face. And this man comes running up and he shares with him the message of Jesus. And he says that knowing and trusting Jesus is the difference between spending an eternity with God or spending an eternity away from God in hell. And, you know, this musician's friends and, and the people around him, they were, they were just laughing. They are expecting the musician just to rip this Christian guy to shreds for what he's just said. But do you know what the musician does? He smiles, and he gives the man a hug. And all of his friends, all the musician's friends and, and group around him, they're a bit surprised, they're a bit confused of why he's acting in this way. And the musician says even though I don't believe a word of what he's saying, he does. And that's how I know he loves me. Do you know, even though he didn't believe what this Christian guy was saying, he saw that for someone who believes the gospel, to share the gospel is the most loving and compassionate thing you could do. A compassion and love that is just a faint reflection of the compassion and love that God has. You know, 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter, in that verse, he says, the whole reason that Jesus hasn't come yet isn't because he's forgot, and it isn't because it's not happening. It's because God is patient. It's because God is compassionate. He's longing that people would turn and trust him. And that's the question that the end of the book of Jonah really puts to us. God says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people? Should I not have compassion for the great city of London, in which there are nearly 10 million people? Should I not have compassion for those at school in which there are nearly 2,000? Should I not have compassion for those at work in which there are just 12? God shows us that He is such compassion. He has such compassion for our friends, our family, our colleagues to know Him. Absolutely no one is beyond knowing the grace and the love of God, as the Ninevites have shown us. And you know, God invites us to share His heart. And, you know, we might not preach to a whole city, 120,000 people, but, you know, we can start with one, can't we? Because, do you know, the heart of the book of Jonah, the heart of the book of Jonah is that it shows us the heart of God. Jonah says it begrudgingly. He says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger, abound in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But do you know this morning, we know that this is true of who God is because we know Jesus. Jesus who went through the horror of crucifixion, who took nails, who poured out his blood on the cross so that undeserving people could know the grace of God. Jesus takes our sin, our shame, our guilt. He takes it all on him and he takes the punishment in our place so that we, like the people of Nineveh, might be spared. You know, I know it's a famous verse, but John three sixteen it is so wonderful. <laughs> for God so loved the world. He had such compassion for this world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever you are this morning, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know that is what happens this morning when we come to the person Jesus and we see what he has done for us? Because we say, not like Jonah, I knew, but now I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I mean, what an awesome God! What an awesome God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how incredible that this is who you are. You're a God full of love and compassion for us. And though we do not deserve any of it in the slightest, for the way that we treat you Father, thank you for Jesus, and that because of him, we know this love in our lives, and that we are before you forgiven with no condemnation as our future, but rather eternal life with you forever. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Father. Amen.